might know who he is. Man, when did Brian get so funny? <laughs> He's always been funny, guys. Good morning. It is great to be with you guys. Not just good, it's great to be with you. It's great to be home. And um, there's not a Sunday that goes by that we don't uh, feel the, the weight of, you know, being obedient to the call that's on our life to go and do what God's asked us to go and do and to do that with joy and to, uh, with, with, it, with a passion, but also recognizing that when you dig a deep trench of relationship with people, it doesn't just go away. And so we love you and we miss you. And we, um, I bring you greetings from Carol, who I guarantee you is watching right now. She worships with reckless abandon in our living room every week. I am with you about half the time because I'm so extroverted, I have to go and like be around people. And so I'll go to church. I've gone to a bunch of different churches, but really this is, this is our church home. This is where we still sit under the ministry uh, as well. And so you can wave at Carol right now if you want. She's, she's, she's probably embarrassed now that you're waving at her, <laughs> ducking your head. But we love you. We miss you. And, and the, the anchor of that verse still holds. Uh, delighted to share with you not only the gospel but our lives as well. We feel that delight in being connected to you. I would say to you, as a, it's a little easier when you're not the pastor who's in charge to say things that might get the pastor who is in charge in trouble because I can just leave and he can clean up the mess. But I would say to those of you who are online who are watching, bless you. We are with you because we have to do the same thing, but we live a long ways away. You don't. I think it's time to come back. I just think it's time to come back. It's not because coming into church makes you a better Christian. It's the old-fashioned statement. You don't, you know, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. Uh, but there is something about coming into corporate worship together and gathering together as preparation for the Lord's return, as the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10, that is not just good for us, like we feel good for doing it. It's actually really a pertinent thing for the gospel, and we need to get beyond, I think, not excoriating people who aren't here, but we need to get beyond in every way within the church in America an individualistic understanding of what it means to walk in faith with Jesus and to recognize that we can only become truly holy in, in a real significant community, and it's a community that's not going to be perfect. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says that we expect more of community than Jesus did. And when we put too high expectations on it and it lets us down, we actually should reflect upon the 12 that he walked with, full of betrayers and deniers. It's okay, but it's, you need to get into a body where you can physically connect with the people who are around you and spur one another on in faith. I just wanted to say something like that. Also, um, as a way to dive in today, I'm so thankful to be here in the middle of a series on the book of Acts, although I will say it's quite a challenge to a preacher to take three chapters of Acts and try to do it justice in one, in one Sunday. I'm glad that Kevin is doing all this additional work. It relieves some of the pressure, but there's probably nothing stronger uh, to embed the Word of God deep within us than testimony of those who have actually 
the, the Lord has convinced them with what he says in Acts 1, many convincing proofs that they are to be witnesses uh, with their whole lives. And we have a testimony this morning that we get to share, and it's not one that we get to share live. It's one that we get to share beautifully as we did yesterday in the, in the memorial service. This is um, Betty McCarthy, and th- this is Betty's testimony that we prepared um, just before COVID was starting. We were gathering testimonies, and all that kind of got put on hold because we started building other content. And, but this is, this is a testimony that we have that I think is so lockstep in line with what we're studying in the book of Acts, what it means for us to put all of our weight on Jesus. And so just take a look at Betty's testimony. I knew about salvation, but I didn't know how to live the life afterwards. My life was nothing. I was 30 years old. I was very young. I was very, I wanted things to do, but I didn't have anything to do except what was there at the house. And I finally sat down one day at the table and I, I, everybody had gone to work in school and I just looked out the window and I said, you know, God, if this is all there is to life, I don't want any more of it. And that's how I felt. And I thought there's got to be more to life than this. And I can't give up these cigarettes. I've tried, I've done everything I know how to do and nothing has worked. Our pastor, happened to go to a full gospel businessman meeting and got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And when he stood up that next Sunday to preach, he glowed. And I said, I don't know what he's got, but I want that. And then it wasn't long after that before we had a revival at our church. I was sitting in the bench and I've never had this experience before, but it was like a wet, hot blanket that just fell over me. I was sweating. I had no idea what was going on, but I kept hearing this voice saying, go talk to him, go talk to him. And I thought, for what? What what would I go talk to him about? So finally, at the end of the service, I got up. I said, okay, I'll go talk to him. I don't know why. And he said, fine, I'll meet you here in the morning at 8.30. I went home, I got up the next morning, I got to the church at 8.30. We went in the nursery and sat down in little bitty chairs where our knees were up under our chin. And he just said, talk to me. And I said, I don't know what to tell you. And he said, just talk. And then I finally broke down and told him that life meant nothing to me anymore. I had no joy, no peace, no nothing. And that I was a smoker and I couldn't put him down. And after I got through with that little part, then everything in my life that had ever happened to me just came pouring out. And I thought, what am I doing? And when it was over with, I have never been so embarrassed in my life. And he said, okay, are you ready to give this to somebody who can do something about it? Let's give it to God. And I said, well, I don't know what to say. He said, just tell him what you told me. I was angry because I I was so frustrated. I didn't know what to do. And I was just letting God hear what was really in my heart. And at the end of the prayer, I said, and by the way, if you're who you say you are, I'd like to quit smoking. I've tried to put them down and I can't. The end. I didn't even say amen. I just said the end and I got up 
I was embarrassed. I didn't want to even look at the man. I didn't want to go back to church. And I left. But the next morning when I got up, I went to the kitchen and I was getting ready to fix breakfast. And there was a shelf over my sink. And I always put my cigarette up there. And there was no cigarette up there. And I thought, well, I left it in the bathroom, in the bedroom. So I went back there. And I looked around and there was no cigarette. And I thought, now this is weird. I went back in the kitchen again and I looked on the table, no. And I went back over to the kitchen sink and I turned around and looked at, I was looking up at the kitchen cabinets and this fog in a circle came around that kitchen cabinet and it, I was standing there staring at it and I thought, what is this? And as plain as I am talking to you right now, he said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're gone. You don't need them anymore. I took a deep breath and it was the first time I could take a deep breath without hurting. I couldn't tell you what they smelled like. I couldn't tell you what they tasted like. I ran to the bedroom, I jerked my clothes on, I ran down to the church as fast as I could go. I didn't even knock on the pastor's door, I just pushed it open. And I said, guess what? <laughs> God just took my cigarettes. It worked. He heard me. And what I learned from all of this was it was like God saying, whenever you're ready to give up, then give it to me. Quit trying. I'm the one that can do it, not you. Give me the opportunity to show you who I am. That's, re that's really all that the Lord wants in our lives is the opportunity to show us you know, who he is. We can have exactly as much of God as we will take. Let's pray. Father, we ask in Jesus' name that you would reveal yourself to us in a fog like a circle. That you would come to us in a Pentecostal sort of way. Wind and fire, tongues. And that you would present to us many convincing proofs, overwhelming evidence of who you are we would be brought into a valley of decision. Lord, I thank you so much for my sister Betty and for this testimony that was so significant in changing her life. Her life. I miss her. And I'm thankful that she's with you. And Lord, I'm even more grateful for the validity of of her testimony and the undying and the unchanging testimony of who you are when we trust you. And so, Father, help us in this short time we have to put our, all of our weight uh, underneath your name. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bible, open, to, open your Bible to Acts chapter 4, verse 7. I, again, uh, Acts chapter 3 through 5, it's so hard to 
get all that's going on here because so much is happening in the in the church in these in these chapters. Really, there's a shift in the in the story. Uh, we now begin to see the Lord moving back and forth, telling the story of what's happening inside the church and what's happening to the church outside of the church. It's a back and forth. Something God's doing something in the church, and then and then they they have to go outside and face. The outside world, there's opposition, there's all kinds of things that happen, and then the Lord is adding to their numbers. Uh, it, it's a back and forth, and we begin to learn with greater and greater detail the way the Lord is building the church in the world to be both an internal mechanism to, to bring people up in the Lord and to be faithful witnesses in an unbelieving world to draw people into relationship with the Lord. And you begin to see the way that this works, and one of the key things that's going to happen is is that there's, there, there's pressure, there's trouble, even persecution. And that the Lord isn't, uh, not only is he not threatened by this, that he, he deems it worthy to use this to, to grow the church. And so if you look at Acts chapter 4, verse 7, you see exactly uh, what's happening. I'll tell you a little bit of the story. Peter and John have gone up to the temple in the, one afternoon, and they go up through this gate that, well, it won't be. It's closed now. It's closed by a, a, a Suleiman the Great, as a, because he, you know, he'd heard the stories that Jesus was going to return through this gate. So he walled it up, and it's called the Beautiful Gate. And I, it'll be walled up, I believe, until the Lord splits the skies and returns on the Mount of Olives and and prances right through that gate and sits on a, on his throne in in Jerusalem. That's my take on things. But it's through this very gate that Peter and John have gone, and they find a man who's who's lame. He's been lame basically his whole life, and he asked for money, and they say, we don't have money, but we have, we'll give you. In the name of Jesus, arise and walk, and he, he gets up and he walks. People are quite fascinated when a man who's been crippled that long can walk. And it gives them an opportunity, them being Peter and John, to give a testimony about what's going on, and, and this is the church moving outward and the church moves outward, they have opportunity to, to talk about exactly who Jesus is and what's happened to him and what he's doing. And, you know, it's a pretty key and important thing because Jesus is no longer on the scene. If you, re- if you read the book of Acts, or let's say Luke and Acts, because really this is one book, 24 chapters of Luke, 28 chapters of Acts. It's really one long book, and the hinge of it is, is Luke 24 and Acts 1. Those where Jesus ascends. And so if you're reading a book, honestly, and you have the hero of heroes in your book, and midway through the book the hero disappears, you're kind of disappointed, right? I really like that Jesus guy. Now he's gone from the, the story, and I got half of it yet to read? Well, this is going to be not as fun. I want him back. And so it's a key question that has to be answered very early on as Jesus has ascended. Well, how is Jesus still present? And so Peter and John have opportunity right here at the beginning of their ministry. As soon as the day of Pentecost has come, and as soon as they begin to order themselves in community, they have opportunity to show us how Jesus is still present. He's present by virtue of his name. And as his name is pronounced, he's present in his name. And I, I, this, might be, this might sound like hooky-booky or something kind of mysterious and, and like a mystique to you, but I can tell you in the ancient world of first century Israel, and even in the Middle East, much of the world today, there is power and authority in a name that goes far beyond just the name. I mean, we, we get this a little bit. I mean, I've said to my kids, I don't have a lot to give you, but, you know, we've worked hard to try to have a decent name, you know, 
But I can tell you, if you go through the Middle East today, there are certain areas you can't get into unless you can, uh, unless you can move into that area in the name of a person who has authority in that area. And if you say, I'm here in the name of so forth and so on, then the doors are open to you. And so when Peter and John are operating in ministry in the name of Jesus, what you begin to see happen is, is the same things Jesus did with, when he was on the earth walking around are happening by virtue of his name. This is such a weighty thing in the Jewish world. Even today, um, the name of the Lord is rarely, you know, pronounced in Orthodox settings, not pronounced at all. And they would just say, they say in Hebrew, the name, or Bashem. You know, you know, instead of saying, you know, his name, they just say the name. And, and so there's so much weight, so much authority in this. That, I mean, it's, you have to kind of grapple with what exactly um, Peter and John are getting at. And so when they say to this man, we don't have anything to give you like you want, but in the name of Jesus, arise and walk. I mean, it's, you're like, whoa, what's going to happen? And sure enough, the guy gets up and walks. And so there's something going on with that name that, that, that comes out here. When, when they're arrested, which they have been here, it says immediately that the church grew from 3,000 to 5,000 in this, in this second message that Peter preaches. And he's brought before Peter and John before all of the religious elite. This is the combined, this is the Supreme Court, the Congress, the Senate, the executive branch, all of Israel's elite are there for this, this not really a trial, but more like what's going on. And they ask them this central question, by what power or what name did you do this? Do you see how critically important this question is? This is a very legitimate question. The way that they go about it, I don't think, is always so legitimate. But this is such a significant question. It had to be answered. By what power or what name did you do this? And they see the guy over there you know, doing a little dance because he was, he was lame and he couldn't walk. And now he's dancing. They're like, obviously something's happened. By what power or what name did you do this? It's a critical question, and the answer to it is critical. I actually think this is a critical question for each and every one of you, each and every one of us to answer today. By what power or what name are you living your life? It's worth letting that sink in, settle in. Don't be so quick to answer it. By what power or what name? Are you living your life today? If you went through Acts 3 through 5, you, you'll find that in these three chapters, th- this is a very significant question or a very significant dynamic that's being laid out. The name is brought up several times in direct relationship to the presence and the ministry and the power and the problem uh, of, of the name of Jesus is bringing to Jerusalem. And so I'll just, I'll survey them for you so you can get a feel for this. This is just in these three chapters, Acts 3, 6, which I've just mentioned. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Acts 3, 16, as, as Peter's then preaching about this, he says, by faith in his name, the name of Jesus, his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. So the faith that comes through Jesus has given him this perfect health in front of all of you. Acts 4, 7, which we just looked at after they had Peter and John stand before them. By what power or in what name have you done this? Acts four ten. Let it be known to all of you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, this is the answer. 
that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God has raised from the dead, by, by him this man is standing before you healthy. Jesus raised him up so that he could walk. The same as when Jesus was here doing this, it's, it's happened in his name. Acts 4.12, Peter going on. There, he says, look, not only did he raise up a lame man, but you need to know something. Salvation is in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. It's the same word he's using over and over again. I'm sure that, it, it, you know, uh, Peter would have been saying over and over, Beshem. But so, in Acts 4.17, 4, but so there, that this does not spread any further among the people, this is what the religious elites say. Let's threaten them, again, speaking to anyone in his name again. Their answer is, okay, they're doing too much of this, so let's just get them to just stop talking about any, anyone or to anyone about anything in the name of Jesus. As long as they'll stop that, this will go away. Acts 4.18, so they called for them and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. They said, Here, here's the deal. Just don't do that anymore. They get released they can't even punish them because the, the throng of people is so significant and the man who was lame is now dancing. So they're like, well, we can't punish him because obviously something's happened here. And so they get released and they go back to their prayer gathering, the body that's, that's gathered, and they actually quote Psalm 2. They recognize, they're perceptive enough to recognize what's happened to them has been prophesied in scriptures that the, the, that the nations, the Gentiles, and the, the kings would rage against the name. And so they're, they're perceptive enough to, to, to recognize that, that this is an opportunity to go before the Lord and to pray. And this is the prayer they pray. James Downey has preached a year or so ago a really sterling message out of this very passage. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. And remember, they've just been released and told, don't speak in his name. Enable us to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. What they prayed for, they immediately saw. This, I have a big note here right in my Bible next to that that just says Maranatha. That is the Maranatha cry. Come, Lord, manifest yourself. Give us boldness. Show us signs and wonders. Help us to declare your name boldly even when we've been told to not do anything in your name. And immediately the place that they're praying is shaken and they declare the word of God boldly. There's signs and wonders and boldness that come. Maranatha, that's a great name for a church. That's not the end of it though. Acts 5.28, they get brought back in front of this, this religious elite group and they say, didn't we strictly order you not to teach in his name? Look, you filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Isn't that a phenomenal thing to have said about you? Wouldn't you love that to be on, you know, on your gravestone? You know, Jeff filled Jacksonville with the teaching of Jesus. They're ordered not to speak in his name, but they, they, they do exactly the opposite. Acts 5.40, after they called in the apostles and had them flogged, this time they, they, they beat them really severely, they ordered them again not to speak in the name of Jesus and release them. And then finally, Acts 5.41, the, 
look what they do when they get released. Then they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully on behalf of the name. There's a lot going on here in Acts 3 to 5 around the name of Jesus to demonstrate to us that even though he's ascended into heaven, by the proper use of his name, he's still present. You're going to learn later in the summer when you get to the seven sons of Sceva that if you don't use the name right, you can get the tar beat out of you by some demons. It's not, it's not a magic. This isn't abracadabra. You just can't say it. It's by real faith in his name that things happen. And I want to just take that back to the lame man and then unpack this, and then I'll close. For some of us, To say silver and gold I don't have, it's about the worst thing that we can say. It makes us feel so powerless or empty. Or even I think as I, I travel around the nation, and uh, you know, I, I didn't want to take it much time to talk about what I'm doing these days, but I'll tell you I'm traveling a ton and I'm all over the place seeing other churches and I don't ever go anyplace and go, I love that more than my Maranatha family. But I see many different expressions of the body of Christ. And one of the things that I hear a lot is almost what I would call like a poverty mindset about the church. Um, you know, it's a shame we don't, aren't able to fill in the blank. And I would say it seems to me to be very much a, it's a shame that we don't have silver and gold. Um, and it's for a lot of us, like the worst thing that could be said, that almost feels like the church is in ruins if we have to say silver and gold I don't have. But I'll tell you something, it's a, it's a lot worse if the church doesn't have the spiritual power to say in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk, what, what would you choose? I, I would choose a church that had no resources to help if it could look to people around it who were poor, oppressed, lame, put outside and say, in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. There's a story, perhaps it's true, I don't know, about a a monk, a humble monk who's walking with a Roman Catholic cardinal in the Middle Ages at the time when the Roman Catholic Church was in its heyday, the zenith of its power and prestige and wealth. And the cardinal pointed to the, the opulent surrender, like a, a cathedral, and he said to the monk, well, we no longer have to say silver and gold I don't have. And the monk replied, but neither can you say in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Nazareth, arise and walk. We, we don't want to lose that church. We want to sell out, not for the silver and gold, but for the spiritual authority to speak in the name of Jesus and to see something happen. When Peter and John had nothing to give him, you, could, you can maybe imagine that this guy who's, who's a beggar, who is completely dependent upon others around him, you can imagine them, that guy complaining, like, you don't care about me because you won't give me what I need. Not that anybody would ever say that in 2021. I get it. You've gotten used to Brian's humor. You don't think that's funny. You don't like my sophisticated humor? Oh, yours is. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, you're... Yeah. <laughs> low-hanging fruit. I've always been good at low-hanging fruit. Brian's the, the tall... The, the fruit at the top of the tree. Harder to reach, harder to reach, but worth it. So you can imagine this guy saying, 
I just have a simple need and you won't give it to me. Look at the mess I'm in. Don't you care? And, and, and Peter and John wanted to support this guy, wanted to meet the needs of this guy. We literally had to respond the way they did. They didn't really have anything to give him, but they really didn't want to just see the guy, you know, eat for a day. They, they wanted his life changed so immeasurably that he would be a living, walking testimony to the power of the name of Jesus as proof that Jesus is still on the scene. That's what they wanted for the guy. What would change his life more significantly? Giving him what he asked for or giving him the name of Jesus and faith in that name would compel him to rise and walk. It's not the church's business in this world today to simply make the the present condition of the people around our community more bearable. That's not, our, that's not the primary job that we have. The, our task as the church is to release the redemptive work of God in the name of Jesus, to release it, to speak it in the name of Jesus, to, not as a magic incantation, but by our faith, to see our communities and our people in our communities changed by the power of his name. And I don't mean that metaphorically. I mean that like literally. To, 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 to hunger and yearn for, for, for signs and wonders and the power of seeing this happen. And I, the reason I say I, this is a question for you all today as much as it was for the church back then, by what power, what name, is I'm not convinced, and I'm not saying this is an indictment against you. In fact, I'll give you an illustration from my own life of how it's me. I'm, I'm, I would say I am convinced that you're not putting all of your weight in Jesus, that you're not really going all in. I'm convinced that that is a primary problem that exists in our churches generally, and in even this church specifically, is that you are, you are getting about as much as you're, you're asking for. You're, you're, you're putting some of your weight on this name, some of your weight on, on who he is and what he can do, but really not all of your weight. So, you know, I have a kind of a, a funny story that comes from a not very funny time of my life, but... Uh, when I went on my quote-unquote sabbatical last fall and landed in a hospital and was, you know, probably hours, days, not hours, from them amputating my leg, um, which would not have been the worst thing in the world, uh, considering, you know, relatively speaking, but it certainly wasn't something that I wanted to happen. And it, it got to a place where the, the, the surgeon that was looking after me had said on several different occasions, this is the course of action. And then uh, the infectious disease doctors then became to, began to agree and said this is probably the, the, the best course of action. And I quickly shifted from feeling sorry for myself to saying, well, let's get it done. I, probably just because that's my nature. Because I, I heard the Lord say to me, somebody, I don't remember who it is, I'm glad I don't, but somebody sent me a text message in that season you know, really well-meaning text messages and messages we get from people, you know, when you don't know what to say and somebody's died or somebody's hurt or something, this or that, so you say something you think is going to be helpful, but it's not. You know what I'm talking about? People say things like, you know, I know you miss your loved one, but, you know, God needed another angel in heaven, and you're like, what kind of God would take my loved one for, you know, you're like, that does, I know you meant to help, but, well, somebody sent me one of those messages to say, essentially, look, it's, God's telling you it's time for you to just get to sit on the shelf. You know, it's time to just hang out at the beach and sit on the shelf kind of thing. And I, and I knew, I felt so much rage rise up in me that I almost wrote a message back to them 
to rebuke them, but the Lord just got a hold of my heart and said, no, you don't have to do that. Just, but just trust me. And I heard the Lord say, I don't remember the exact word, something to the effect of, I bought your whole body, Jeff. Every piece of your body is mine. It came at a great price. What, ma- what does it matter if some of it's gone? I mean, what, what, does, that, does that in any way shape or change your commitment to go wherever I'd send you? I'm like, no, Lord, I'm in. And at that moment, I knew I was fine, so I just said, well, go ahead and take my leg. And I, I literally began to say to Carol, um, well, I mean, I'm looking at some doctors and some places for prosthetics, and she's, and, and, and <laughs> I, I so need my wife. I don't think I was wrong-minded in that, but here's what my wife said. She, Carol said, hold on a second. Wouldn't it be okay to just take a couple days and let Jesus move? Wouldn't it be okay just to, to go before the Lord in prayer and just see if he has a different answer? Maybe, maybe we don't have to. I know I, I appreciate your heart. And I know you, you do not want to be stuck here. I know you want to get up and get going. But in the name of Jesus, we need to seek him. And so we did. And so... The rest is, I mean, here I am. Silver and gold I have not, but what I have, I give you the name of Jesus, arise and walk. And my doctor, my surgeon and my infectious disease doctors said with their lips, I don't even know if they're all believers, I think one of them is, several of them I'm pretty sure aren't, said it's literally a miracle that you're walking, literally a miracle. We've not seen somebody with the infection you had and what was going on turn around like this. We don't know how that happened. I do, they, and I told them how it happened. But this one doctor my surgeon, his name's Dr. Fine. And he, he, looks, he looks like he's... He, he, do you remember Doogie Hauser? Okay, so Dr. Fine's in his 40s, and he looks like he's about 14. And so I literally asked him when he walked, I was like, whoa, how old are you? He's like, I get that a lot. But he didn't have the best bedside manner. He's a very brilliant doctor, and he didn't have much time. He's the guy that said, I think we can take your leg. When, he, when I finally came around, I said, wow, this is a miracle. He said, okay. I went into his office, and I literally had with Dr. Fine a Peter and John moment where he said, I'm, I'm on my scooter in his office, and he said, okay, done x-rays, it's looking better, get up and walk. And I said, what? He said, get up and put your full weight on it. I was like, what? I said, it's... June, July, August, September, October, I haven't stood on it. He's like, get up, and, get up and walk. Let me see what you can do. So I got up, you know, really unsteadily, and, and I did one of these. I went. He's like, you put no weight on it. Try it again. So I went, put my foot down here, and I went, like slid it forward. And he said, he just has a nurse in the room, his male nurse, and Carol's in the room, and he said, he needs therapy. <laughs> he obviously isn't, isn't ready. And I got so upset. This is the funny part of it to me. I got so upset with this guy because I was like, you don't know me. You don't know the way my heart works and the way, that, you know, I, I, I'm a competitor. And I was like, I, and I said, it's just, I was like, I could walk. It's just context, doctor. He's like, what? 
I was like, well, it doesn't really matter right now. I said, but if we were in the woods and like you fell down an embankment and broke your leg and a bear was coming after us, I would throw you on my shoulders and carry you out of the woods. And the doctor went, what? And his, and his male nurse behind him, who I think was kind of an outdoorsman, who got, he's like, yeah, I can, you know. And Carol's like, ah, it's just my husband. And I was, I was just saying, you don't get me, buddy. If it really mattered, I'd put my whole weight on it. And I think in some weird way, me in that doctor's office is you in the way that you relate to Jesus. You do love him. You do believe that there's power in his name. But you like, it's like you have a lame leg, that he's healed. The miracles happen. And he said, just stand up and walk and put your whole weight on me. Maybe you need a little therapy in the name of Jesus. The call, I believe, the call on your life, and I'm never going to change this. The call on your life is to go all in. To put both feet down and to put all your weight on him. You can have about as much of God as you'll take. There's a, a law of appropriation you see it in the book of Joshua where there's, he says, go and take the land. Wherever you set your feet, everywhere you put your foot down is yours. There isn't any limit with him. There isn't any limit on how far we can come into the spiritual inheritance, enjoy all the great gifts and graces and mercies of God each and every day if we will put our full weight on him in his name. And the reason I want to stress this is because I'm wanting you to examine yourself. Self-examination is the most, that is the most individualistic thing you should do in the name, in, in, in the body of Christ, is you should examine yourself and ask yourself whether you really are the kind of Christian that you want to be or that the Lord wants you to be. If you want to draw on your own strength to get by, like have a scooter, get around on a scooter, God won't forbid it. He'll allow you to do that. He doesn't want it, but he'll allow it. And I'm here to tell you that we have resources that we haven't tapped into. And it's pathetic for us to struggle and fight these battles that have long been over. The battle's been won. For me, the biggest enemy in my life isn't isn't the enemy, isn't Satan. Usually the biggest enemy is myself. If I could let go and really put my weight in. And I'll tell you, this is just the this is the closing. I will confess as a guy who's led in the church for a long time that at the end of the day, you're responsible for your walk with the Lord, but it's at least partly our fault. Because what we've done as the church is we've, pre- we've presented a Jesus to you that's far too small. Too much at your service. Your personal Lord, your genie in the bottle, where you rub, him, you rub the lamp when you need something from him and then you put him away on the shelf until you need him again. And, and the, church in, the church in America actually the, teaches something that's really good. It's just, it just, we don't go far enough. What we teach in the church in America is that there's this, we even depict it, there's a circle, and in the center of the circle, there's a throne, and sitting on the throne is self. You, you're sitting on the throne of your life. And all these things are surrounding it, like your 
friends, your family, your money, all, and then outside is Jesus. And, we, and, the, and the call we have is invite Jesus into your heart. And so then the cross comes inside the circle, and then we go, well, then let him sit on the throne. That's a good message. There's nothing wrong with it. The problem is it doesn't go far enough. That's called the message of centrality. Jesus stands on the door and knocks. If anybody hears and opens the door, he'll come in. And the message we're left with sometimes, it's implied, it's, it's subtle, we don't mean it, but we do it, is, man, poor Jesus sitting out in the rain and knocking at the door. We did a good thing by letting him come into our lives. Really nice of us to let Jesus in. But if you keep reading the same book, Revelation 3 into Revelation 4, it says, there I saw a door open before me and an invitation to come through that door. John, invited to come through that door into the throne room to the center of where Jesus is and to die to self and to cast his whole weight on Jesus. The message of supremacy. Jesus is supreme in all things. If you will put your full weight in him, he will prove himself. What Betty McCarthy said holds. He just wants an opportunity to show you who he is. Put all your weight on. I've never been able to get beyond. I mean, I'm old school in a lot of ways. I'm so thankful for the for the direction this church is going and for Pastor Brian, Carrie's leadership and the elders here and the way in which I see new life springing forth. I think it's so beautiful and so good and so right. And it was so helpful for me in the weight of moving on to this next season of my life to know that God is moving powerfully here through quality leadership that are doing the things that need to be done at this time. And so I am thrilled with, with where this church is going. But I'll tell you, one of the, one of the ways in which I am an old school guy that, I, that I'm just too old to ever get over this is that I believe very deeply in my heart that the altar is the place where surrender needs to happen every Sunday because we're living sacrifices. Because we don't literally get, <laughs> we don't get opened up and our blood spilled and this sacrifice is made. Jesus, I know, did this for us, but we are living sacrifices. And I think that we need to be reminded on a daily basis, sometimes an hourly basis, to put our full weight in him, on him. And so I'm just going to ask you as we close, I'm going to come down here and going to just do it. I do it every day. Every single day of my life, I get on my knees before the Lord in some form or fashion and just say, thank you for what you're doing in me and thank you for what you've done. And I need to, I need, I'm sorry for yesterday because I did not, by the end of the day, I took stuff back and did it in my own power. And today, this day, as long as it's today, I'm all yours. And so I'm just going to invite you in the name of Jesus. Silver and gold I have not, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus. Arise and walk and put your whole weight on him. If you'd stand with me as I pray, if you're able. Jesus. There's weight to the word. Sometimes the word's Your word is touching a place like a relational place of like, you know, I've I've felt like a lameness in my in my relationships, or maybe it's 
Maybe it's in my image of you, Lord. Maybe it's in literally physical infirmity. We ask, Lord, for the faith to call upon your name. That there wouldn't be anything that you want to do in our lives that we leave behind for lack of appropriation. That we would be like Joshua everywhere we set our feet. We do so boldly and courageously. Faith that where we, where we land our feet, we'll capture that ground in your name. Lord, I am so tired of the church being on defense. Come as you feel led, in Jesus' name. Tired of telling you.